like before before I put this on, I probably would have said like, you know, what what relationship do I have to San Francisco really? And then like as I so watched it, well, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Hello there, and welcome to The Recommendation Game. My name is Orla McNeilis. I am joined by... Ricardo Deacon. This is a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen, we watch them separately, and then Skype to discuss them. This week's film was chosen by Ricardo. It was indeed. It is 2019's The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Jimmy Fails dreams of being a permanent resident of San Francisco and seeks his friend Montgomery's help to regain an ancient home built by his grandfather. Before the black thing, this was all Japanese till FDR's stormtroopers rounded them up into camps. This house was built in the 1940s. <laughs> Say hi to our neighbor here, everybody. That would actually be about 100 years late for this style. We can see from his gingerbread trim, this was built sometime in the 1850s. Uh, 1946. <laughs> I'm gonna have to disagree with you there, dude, man. No architect in the 1940s was building in this style. That's probably true, but this wasn't built by an architect. My grandfather built this. He came here in World War II. He bought this lot and he built this house. The stairs, these windows, the columns, the archways, the witch hat, the balustrades, the fish scales, this balcony, that wall to keep you all the fuck out, all of it. The film was directed by Joe Talbot, produced by Kalia Neal, Joe Talbot, Dee Dee Gardner, Jeremy Kleiner, and Christina O. Oh. Screenplay by Joe Talbot and Rob Richard. Story by Jimmy Fales and Joe Talbot. Starring Jimmy Fales, Jonathan Majors, Tachina Arnold, Rob Morgan, Mike Epps, Finn Wittrock, and Danny Glover. Music by Emile Mosseri. And edited by David Marks. This week's film was chosen by Ricardo. It was Ricardo, indeed. why? Um, do you know that much about like the production of the movie or the story behind the movie and successes, etc.? Or did you uh, know anything about it before I knew in? absolutely nothing about this before watching it, but then read about it afterwards and how they were like childhood friends, the director and the actor. It's kind of like semi-autobiographical from the main character. Yeah, like uh, from Jimmy Fails' perspective. Yeah, mm -hmm. like uh, 
Uh, and also, obviously, this movie, I think it won Sundance uh, last year or the I, year before. Yeah, I, I think th- that's Minari where they got won the last year. Is that where they got the A24 backing? Was it at Sundance? I think it was the Sundance. Uh, probably, but it is. Uh, a, the movie was produced by Didi Garner, which uh, she is the producer for Plan B, which is her ah. and Brad Pitt. So, uh, like, I presume that like, it is an independent movie, but it is not. The kind of independent movie that will just get uh, distribution from a company like A24 because they did well at Sundance. Yeah. There's a certain level of gravitas behind it. It's similar to, like, I think uh, Plan B uh, would have, like, an agreement for distribution with A24 for certain movies because mm. uh, the way that they operate. But I know that they also sometimes know that the material is good enough and strong enough and the people behind it that they start making the movie just with funding without the distribution set up. I think they did, did the same with 12 Years a Slave that they just oh, started. Also Brad Pitt produced. Well, like it's uh, anything that is Plan B is uh, Brad Pitt, like that's mm-hmm. his production company, which is kind of uh, forgotten when people talk about Brad Pitt. Uh, like he does give uh, like a rather large voice to minorities mm-hmm. and stuff, especially a black community. Uh, like it's interesting that the, they're like uh, childhood friends and this is a movie like it's not overtly about race but it is uh, in parts about race mm. and it's I think it's really important that the director grew up with Jimmy Fells because the director is white kind of thing but the movie doesn't feel like a white person you know like sometimes you get like apologetic films that it's like oh i'm sorry we're white kind of thing <laughs> yeah uh, it doesn't... aka the help or something like <laughs> that <but> yeah um <laughs> no definitely or also like it's some sort of version of like poverty porn or whatever as well but uh, i was very surprised when i learned that the director was white like not in a bad way it was just surprising yeah, and also, like, you can tell that it's, like, uh, um, it is a personal personal for him as well as much as for Jimmy Fails, even though, that, like, it is more autobiographical for Jimmy Fails when it comes to the plot. Mm. But the director said that all the characters that are there and, like, the people that are in the movie are people that he knew. So even whenever it's very specific about black culture, it's, it's super specific and not in a showy way. It's just that it, these are how people like obviously this movie is not like there's a certain level of magic realism to it Mm. which uh takes it out of the real world let's say but in itself it is not unrealistic it's very weird uh like tonally i think that is super impressive as a as a movie to strike this and not seem whimsical the way that, like, uh, Alex, whenever we were watching it, hit it, uh, I think, hit the nail on the head by saying that this movie is, like, whimsical in a European art house way rather yeah. than an American art house way because it is whimsical and weird, but it's not trying to call attention to yeah. its weirdness. It's, it's like, it, more, it's, like, more, um, what do you call them, umbrellas of Cherbourg than it is... Yeah, like yeah, Wes Anderson or something <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah, and it, in itself, is that it needs that weirdness to get away with the plot of the movie mm-hmm. and to get away with what the movie is trying to do. So it's also like stylistically necessary to be 
in the realm of magic realism. Even like uh, I remember when I watched it the first time that it was already during lockdown last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it might have been like a year ago that I watched it. The, uh, I remember <laughs> that like the movie starts with uh, 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 a man in a soapbox uh, talking about uh, the pollution in the bay. Why do they have only suits and we don't? Why? They here to clean this water? Man, this water been dirtier than the devil's mouth for 50 years. And now they want to clean it. They got plans for us, man. Looking like George Jetson rejects. Because they weak. Weak hearts, weak lungs. Can't even breathe up here without a mask. It's very rare that you say this in a movie, but I like how they light exterior shots in this movie. Yeah, it's like high key. It's bananas. <laughs> and they have like a like a fucking probably like a three thousand watt fucking light across the street. So like he becomes kind of separated from the it's, background. Yeah, yeah, like it's. Like super noticeable but at the same time not again like what i'm saying about the style that it's it's noticeable if you look at it but if you were just given like a scene out of context of the movie it's more like the accumulation of things that make the movie quote-unquote quirky mm-hmm. rather than like one <coughs> thing specifically let's say and i remember that it's um you have that moment and then uh, Mont and Jimmy uh, skating down towards the city proper. And even like straight away, it's the thing of like visual metaphor that they're completely in sync. And the way that even they're uh, pushing off the skateboard at the same time. Yeah. Which like uh, I forgot about the skating in this movie. And I was like, Orla will dig this. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's our second film where uh, we have a person breaking a skateboard in a very like poignant manner. <clears throat> and uh, in this case, it's like I remember uh, uh, vividly uh, watching this movie. And as soon as it starts, because it starts really strong, that I was like, I'm in good hands. Mm-hmm. It's like this feeling that sometimes you get with movies that it doesn't take its time to like come in you know like it, it, it like it straight away went okay i'm in good hands i can relax this is not gonna be just weird for the sakeness of being weird this is gonna have actual things to say let's say but even like i can imagine roman mars fucking loving this movie as well because like the like beautiful downtown san francisco california <laughs> Because the the picture of I remember reading I think is on the Roger Ebert website uh, that there is a review of it that the guy says that like he hasn't lived in San Francisco but he has been there mm. like a tons of times <clears throat> and that something that is uniquely uh, San Francisco is the level of weirdness that it can match the level of weirdness of New York. Mm. But it's less um, aggressive in a way, <laughs> you know. Like that, like, like you because will it's meet, California. <laughs> yeah, he says that like he's met uh, a ton of naked men yeah. in uh, public I think I transportation. Read that. I read that as well, and like because he points out that uh, 
you know, if you if you'd never been in San Francisco, you would think that that was just some sort of like trite movie thing. But having like been there, he's like, no, no, I've met a lot of naked people. <laughs> and then just like talking about like the city change and completely ignoring it, and then like the the fucking tech company stacked you, or whatever rolls up. Like I love he saw how, Valley. <laughs> yeah, like and I love that that it's like. We talked so many times about the idea of place and memory in cinema and in the movies that we pick. And it seems to be like a recurring theme in things that we are interested in. And I think that this movie, like for that old cliche that San Francisco is a character in the movie. Mm -hmm. And this is quite literally like the case with the property that like Jimmy Fell says that like the idea of the movie was to make a romantic comedy where i'm in love with a house <laughs> and i like the structure of the movie is mirrored to that and i think that again it's one of these things that like it's so hard to capture without like i know that you were talking about like synopsis and i i, I don't uh, envy the person that was given the task <laughs> yeah to synthesize the the movie or even to sell like i suppose them because it is such a visual movie that it's easy to sell in the sense of a trailer kind of thing. And I, I quite love the poster mm. of the movie. Um, there are two phases. I think it's inspired by uh, a Gil Scott Hemron album cover. Oh, I didn't know that. What I quite appreciated this movie is that it's very much a Spike Lee movie, but not dealing with anything that Spike Lee would deal with. You know, like the... <laughs> Um, if you're gonna not rip off but if you're gonna riff on cinematic tools that director uses it's so much more interesting when they do it in in a way that is not mimicking the actual movies that the directors do so for example like the Duffer Brothers with Stranger Things it's not only that they are making like a Spielberg like story they also shoot it like if they were fucking pretending to be Steven Spielberg <laughs> which is not uh, like I think that they're show running Spielberg has the right for the talisman the Stephen King book and they got he got the two guys from Stranger Things now to be the showrunners <laughs> which is like isn't that Stranger Things already <laughs> like a riff on Spielberg and Stephen King like, you can never imagine Spike Lee making this movie. But there's so much uh, from the color palette to the way the cameras are used, the the, the, uh, the Greek chorus outside <laughs> Grandpa's house. It's very... And, like, even how that is shot reminds me so much of uh, Do the Right Thing. Mm. And it's, I, I don't know. It's hard to describe how I feel about the movie because... It's uh, there's a je ne sais quoi about the movie, you know, <laughs> like it's one of those movies that like everything just fits. There is a overarching melancholy to it that I quite appreciate because it's not hitting your head that it's like so much about place and family and finding a place of your own. And usually you're linking that to your your childhood uh, by extension than your parents and when you don't have either and you don't have the brick and mortar building to actually call your home either and you don't have like a prospect to get that in the near future it's uh, how is your identity built uh, 
in a society that also if you don't have that you have to be like hyper masculine and i think that it's somehow a movie that is amazingly it's able to touch so many different themes without hitting you over the head with them that it deals with racism it deals with uh, uh, institutional racism in a, in a large degree it deals with the uh, friendship it deals with family it deals with toxic masculine masculinity it deals with san francisco as a place and uh, how good it is a, as a place to live but also how it's a place that nobody that deserves living in it can afford to live in it anymore It, it reminds me when I go home, like I think we were talking before recording about this, the, when you live somewhere else to where you grew up and you go back, you have changed and the place have changed. And when you're walking around it and it's like this weird feeling because it looks the same and it feels the same, but it's not the same. It's like there's something there that you're not quite able to meet in the middle the way that you used to because everything is both local and foreign at the same time and you don't know if you're the person that it, if you're the thing that shouldn't be there anymore and i don't know like if you feel that way whenever you come back to ireland whenever the world comes back to normal um, <laughs> i know uh, i i definitely get what you mean and <laughs> uh, without further ado um what did you think of this movie <laughs> oh, how did you describe? Oh, oh no! <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not what you think. Um, <laughs> I think that this is possibly the film while watching that I took the most notes for. Uh, mostly because I was so like full of energy. <laughs> While watching it, that I was like, I kept like grabbing it because I didn't have an actual notebook. I just had my phone and I was like taking, you know, notes in the note app or whatever. And uh, I have actually, I'm gonna send you a picture because uh, I have, me and John watched this last night. And uh, John does a thing that whenever he's like really, really into something, he like, he literally sits on the edge of his seat. So we're on the sofa and he just, he, he's like this. And like, <laughs> the last time I think it happened was. We watched Waves, and also we were watching Fleabag at the very end of Flea. Have you watched the second yeah, season yeah. of Fleabag? Yeah, so the very, whenever, like, the priest is leaving, and he was like, and it's like, he, <laughs> he's so, like, engaged that he can't look, you know, he wants to, like, get into the television, you know? Uh, yeah, man, fucking hell, like, because we were you know, watching this, and, you know, it's like a long film, and we were, like, getting up to get beers, or we're going to the bathroom, or whatever, so, you know, you would have these small breaks where you know you go and you like so usually whenever you're watching something you might think about the thing but you're not you know, you're kind of like oh i'm enjoying billions or whatever <laughs> you know but like every time i went to the bathroom i would like think so much and then come out of the bathroom and just like start talking and <laughs> like we kept like pausing it to talk and like 
man, it was such an experience. Um, I thought so much, like I, I said about uh, uh, the synopsis and how uh, I was kind of annoyed as I was watching it about the synopsis, but also what you said makes sense that how do you explain this film to somebody? Uh, even in like, you know, the most beautiful writing. It's like, I, I thought so much about writing uh, while watching this. And then afterwards when I was... Um, reading uh reviews and looking at the metacritic scores and all that stuff and uh there's something about uh like films that are as special as this is that encourages that are as well written as this is that brings out some of the most beautiful writing and criticism and i think that that can also happen in movies that are really bad <laughs> yeah you know i like it can just it it spurs something in people but um this is a quote from, I can't remember who it is, but I think it's Vanity Fair. But uh, I read this and I was like, that's, that's delightful. A patchwork of impressions, ruminations and unsolved mysteries. The last black man in San Francisco teems and even overflows with life and love. Some might argue at the cost of narrative focus or momentum. That strikes me as precisely the point. <laughs> I was like, ah. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I love whenever I see a phone, I'm like, this feels like so many things. The the European comparison, because like when I was looking at my my fevered notes this morning, whenever I was like writing out my my full kind of stuff, um, that's one of the things I wrote. I was like, this is it's European. I can't tell how. It's <laughs> <was> like <laughs> I was trying to like tease it out and like the like the use of zooms for one, like uh, it's a very like beautifully visual film. But I think um, partly it's also the like. Uh, American cinema in the last 20 years have drawn away from using prominent scores in film. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case in European cinema. So I think sometimes it's like I have an association with having... Because even in something as uh, musically bombastic as, let's say, Mad Max Fury Road, it's still the the soundtrack is still sitting in the mix with the explosions and everything else and the car sounds or whatever but like american cinema doesn't do that anymore of like just cutting the audio all together and just having the soundtrack to the heavy lifting that it becomes literally a montage and i think that Maybe that's what my association with making it European as well as the way that it deals with the story. Yeah. But uh, like in modern European cinema, it's more prevalent than in American cinema, certainly. soundtrack is obviously really good but uh it's not just that the music is beautiful it's that it's the way that it's used within the story and like the music almost becomes its own sort of character as well it's like like the 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 house and the music are like oddly 
suited <laughs> and that like so much of this film is like out of time like people are in the wrong time or like it's like a remnant of a lost time and the music kind of is like that as well which I really appreciated but like not in a not in like a showy way like man um like as I was saying I was quite surprised to find out that the the filmmaker is white um just because like they said like not in a bad way it's just like it because it feels like such an authentic like black story and like I didn't I didn't know the the relationship between the the filmmaker and that they you know they grew up and everything but um there's a great quote from uh Fails himself where he said a lot of people have a misconception of Joe trying to tell a black story but that's not what it is he's telling his friend's story and I also just happen to be black and like that rings really true because although that this film is like race is really important to it like that's not all this film is like fundamentally and what I really like about it is that it's kind of just a buddy movie and like <laughs> like as much as it is like a romantic comedy of uh him being in love with his house it's also this unshakable bond between these two people and like man like I would watch so many more hours of these two characters together if only because at times sometimes it does feel like the film has two protagonists um but like that in a not in a weird way just because um what's his name mont yes um <laughs> do we learn that in the film like, yeah they call him montgomery um, and they they keep calling him mont um the way that they refer to him because he's given like so much time as a character and like but never I think because the performance is so great uh, and the character feels so realized that you don't you don't really need more backstory for for him but at the same time like he's he's given a lot of scenes by himself which I, I really appreciated but um the like <laughs> after he goes to the um uh the real estate guy um and the guy tells him the truth and everything. And uh, I paused it because John was going to the bathroom and I was like, what would you do in this situation? Would you tell him? Would you not? And uh, like the next scene, we were both like, oh, I don't know. And uh, like <laughs> the next scene where he's like, he's like trying to tell him, but he just stops himself. And he's like, I'm with you 100%. And it's like, just this strength of, but that like, there's moments that are so heartbreaking as well when like, he doesn't realize that he, he didn't know that he'd been in a group home for a while. And uh, there's like, I think it's in that same scene where uh, they're kind of, they're talking about, someone's making a sandwich, I think. And they're talking about their relationship. And uh, Mont says of like how they became friends. And he's like, Will you talk shit when I met you? I didn't. You did. It's fine, though. Well, why'd you hang out with me, then? I care about things. I like you. I mean, it's, you know, like, it's great that it's it's a buddy movie kind of above everything else. Um, particularly in a film that's, like, it's about, like, gentrification and race and the American dream and, you know, everything, but we already, you know, know about those things. We already have watched countless movies that are about those things. Um, but 
this film kind of like sets its main story in like that bedrock, but it makes you care all over again, if that makes sense. Like where because you've become so involved in the characters' lives and California's a weird place, man. Um <laughs> but I was like as I was watching it, um like obviously it does have such a sense of place and the place is a character and um but before before I put this on, I probably would have said like, you know, what what relationship do I have to San Francisco really? And then like as I Zodiac. watched it, well, yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> the more and more the more and more I watched it, more movies popped into my head. Like even like um like Milk or uh, like Boo Jasmine or Twentieth um, uh, Century Women as well, because that's San Francisco and like. It also kind of made me think of uh, Lady Bird, which is... Sacramento. Uh, yeah, actually, 20th Century Women is Santa Barbara. It's not San Francisco. They're all very like Californian movies, if you know what I mean. Like they're places that the the location is so important to the movie and so important to the characters as well. Particularly in something like Ladybird, where like her relationship to that place is like you know so steeped in the movie. Um, there are so many things that are wrong with with San Francisco and like the gentrification. And we watched um, Last Chance You, uh, the most recent one. Um, which is set in the, like, not San Francisco, but, like, one of the satellite cities outside San Francisco, where it's a college town, and these kids, and it's their last chance, and most of them can't even live in the city that they go to college in, because, like, the gentrification is so, has become, it's so layered now that even all those satellite towns outside of San Francisco and the ones outside of that, it's, like, Dundalk become, like, unlivable for people. So people get kicked out further and further and further it doesn't have a like it just feels negative there's no feeling of warmth that this has as well there's no feeling of like the the history of it which is that this used to be a like a black middle class neighborhood that they're talking about and that that just doesn't exist anymore and as time goes on exists less and less because like as like wealth inequality and everything and you know, cities that were once like hubs of different communities just become one community, which is like rich people, <laughs> which is not really a community, you know? And like, but the the film doesn't like, it's not a, it's not a cold film. There's like a melancholy to it, but it's also has such a warmth for the like quirkiness or the weirdness or the like what it really feels like to live in a place like San Francisco. And like that feels just, I really liked it. <laughs> There's a word in Portuguese called saudades that is not translatable to English, but it'd be more like it could be described as melancholic nostalgia mm. kind of thing that is like to miss something, but there's like a kind of pang in your heart when you miss it. You know, it's like they it's it's usually related with the idea that you can never go back to the thing that you miss. Mm. Uh, uh, and I think that this movie 
carries that sentiment and what you were saying about like the black neighborhood in america and the and the the way that like san francisco in particular is changing also like i like that the movie comments on the cyclical nature of this by mm. uh, describing how this harlem of the east was created because of the vacuum uh, created by the expulsion of japanese americans in the area that it's almost like that there's only commenting that in america for one group to be succeeding somebody else is getting screwed over there's a scene that jimmy goes to say hello to one of his new neighbors and uh, he's black and the guy is white and there's a kind of like weird dynamic and you don't know if it is because jimmy's slightly strange or is it because what is a black man doing in this like super fashionable era even mm. though like jimmy looks like a fucking hipster you know like uh, the red fucking heavy coat and stuff like that hat. <laughs> but then uh, like you could almost transpose that scene to 60 years before and like if a japanese guy had done exactly the same and mm. walked up to a black guy and i think that there's uh, i i appreciate that that is in the movie because it is also like a, a black mark in the history of California and in a way how like the Japanese community was decimated in the, that area and then there's like some like I'm in a way surprised that there's not more Asian characters in the movie but at the same time it's like it is very contained in the story in a way that Mm. not necessarily would be needed kind of thing yeah it's like it provides you with enough context to that uh yeah. without needing to hammer it home either and like like it's funny i keep coming back to the european sensibility of this and i think that's why it felt so fresh in a way because like indie movies particularly american indie movies have such a style and like, we watched Waves. Have you seen Waves? No. It's, like, a absolute crushing fucking slog of a film. Um, uh, I, like, liked it, but also didn't. But it, it visually, writing-wise, performance-wise, it is ticks every box of an indie movie. Of, like, even the use of, like, certain colors and everything. It, like, it every... It didn't, nothing about it felt fresh. So even though it was a really like emotional film, it's like an emotional film. It's very hard to, to, to sit through because it's so intense. It, it didn't feel new in any sense. Whereas like watching this, it felt so original and like, but at the same time, very much taking its influences from other things. But it was like, ah. Uh, even the way it, that he uses slow motion, like hyper fucking yeah. slow motion. It's so... <laughs> beautiful in a way that it's not i appreciate it that it's like using it to show like an archway like the <laughs> you know like shooting yeah. like uh architecture like if it was a fucking action scene and yeah but like sometimes this movie looks like miami vice you know like with the the like the sharp high key lighting of the out of like the the greek chorus of the like it's it's so intense, but then also mixed with uh, like <laughs> it's funny to 
mentioned Wes Anderson earlier. This could have been so Wes Anderson, particularly in the architecture of the building, but it's it's not at all. And like, you know, it, it's it's missing that. Like, even if you compare it to something like um, the Florida Project, for instance, like that has a very particular indie movie look. Yeah. Which I like because it's a great film. It's really well shot, but like it doesn't look like this. <laughs> this is like something else entirely. But at the same time, not in it. It it sidesteps being arch or like <sighs> pretentious or like I can see how people could watch this and hate it one hundred percent because it's a very particular style. But for me, it it never felt trite or. It's almost like, like the like it's the, the you know like sometimes you watch a scene and you go oh this is well lit and then <laughs> sometimes you watch a, a movie and you go this oh this is bathed with light you know like there's like <laughs> it's almost like light itself has texture sometimes depending on the movie and uh, <laughs> yeah and I think that this movie does that that is like. It almost and it's not using the the usual trick that is like fucking just adding a bit of mist, you know, like a bit of dry ice, and then like suddenly light has weight. It's done almost completely through contrast and color temperature, mm. and that's why I think that like the cinematography particularly is unique in that sense. It's memorable. Like you, I remember after I watched it the first time and. I'd be like thinking about certain shots that like, you know, like are almost forgettable in a certain way. But, you know, like every inch of this movie feels like it was like handmade. (laughs) There's no like battery farming here. This is like free range uh, chicken. It's a heritage chicken movie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, like, I don't think you could ever watch this film. Like, even if it rubs you the wrong way entirely, I don't think you can watch this and think that it's not well-intentioned, I guess. You know, it's like, I don't know how you could ever look at this and think that this is not, like, the soul of the people who made it, you know? Like, every moment is... Um, it's like in a way that doesn't surprise me that it's like based on a person's life and that this these two people have such a relationship and stuff and the movie has like this episodic nature that almost feels like a road movie yeah uh, the the way that like there's like a scene like one scene moments with certain characters you know like and you were saying about the the, the writing there's like so many quotable moments like I remember <laughs> my, my favorite is like hey jimmy isn't that the car that you used to live in <laughs> you <know? Yeah. laughs> and you kind of think oh they're just gonna drop that and then you get like this this little explanation for it and then you see him later on like going to sleep in his car and it's like there's <laughs> And the production it's design so is, again, so specific that it's, yeah. like, you know, like in the, the hands of a, I think the best way that I find to describe it is that in the hands of anybody else, they would have just like went that extra like yard that would have made the movie <laughs> unbearable. Yeah. But because, you know, that is like 
everything is kind of taken to just the right <laughs> amount of like whimsical and weird without yeah. going like the you know you you go over that and you're like in deep trouble i think because <laughs> i can't really like if it is warranted i can take like a lot of whimsical shit but <laughs> it's very rare that it is warranted let's say and this movie just is able to take it and even like uh some of the influences like the the scene in the when they do the theater play or whatever like it reminds mm-hmm. me of that scene and uh, i don't know if you've seen seen a dark in new york the mm-hmm. charlie kaufman movie that reminds me of the funeral scene in that movie whenever the the priest is like i'm so tired of like dealing with funerals in a way and you know like in movies like this you're always like oh no the guy's gonna humiliate himself and nobody's gonna Aww. like the play and the interaction with the crowd is so like oh god <laughs> it's so intense like <laughs> sorry <laughs> i just i had the i had the i googled the movie and you know the way on, on google it'll have the audience rating and then it'll have audience reviews and uh <laughs> someone's saying okay besides joker this is probably my favorite movie of 2019 <laughs> That is a weird kind of like two movies. To... It feels like the baby of Wes Anderson and Damien Chazelle. <laughs> Does it? No. No, it doesn't. Jesus. Yeah, so. Long story short, I loved it. I'm glad whenever you made the, the, like, the, the sound effect in the beginning, I was uh, quite worried. I said to John last night, I was like, we're going to gush. We're going to gush so hard. But before that, I'm going to make him stress. (laughs) What a prick. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't wait too long. And then we gushed. So um, uh, what was your favorite thing? Um, I don't know. Like, I suppose it will have to be the direction because it encompasses so much. But... Like, the cinematography is so great. The performances, like, across the board, there's not a bad performance. And even, like, the smaller characters, like, his dad and his mom mm. and Shout out to Danny Glover. And Danny Glover as the granddad. And uh, Michael Epps as the, the guy that is living in his car. Every performance <laughs> is, like, just... Like, even the CD property developer guy, you can't hate him too much because he's like, <laughs> no, like he's... He's in the big short, I think, that guy. Yeah, um, like he is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think, like, the performances are great. The fucking writing is so good. Like, there are moments that, you know, it's very hard to write a movie that is as writerly as this without mm-hmm. you realizing how writerly the movie is. You know, like, even the idea of having, like, the Greek chorus and the idea of having the play and having so many, like, monologues about things in Mm. this movie, it could be so unbearable. Like, I think that is... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, like, and I suppose it gives room to the for the direction to go as big as it does because... You're already dealing with big emotions and epicness, you know, like it's the bit uh, 
you know, if you're doing like a Mike Lee movie, you can't fucking direct it as if you're Michael Bay or something. <laughs> but like, if you bring a, like one of I the like a, a scene of Shakespeare or something, you can like go crazy because it's like it's so big, anyways. That you know, mm-hmm. like you're already playing to the back row, you know. Like, you don't need to fucking start going like, oh, it's time to be uh, subtle. But yeah, what's your, your your favorite thing? As I was watching it, there was one thing that really made me think of... Um, I thought a lot about a diff- lot of different books while watching this, because it is, very, it is writerly. But uh, I thought a lot of uh, White Noise, actually, because of the like Oh, Don Delilo, thing. yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, a, um, but- a good shout, yeah. Because that has like a like a level of of like surrealism to it as well, and like, but also while dealing with like just the sort of mundane things of life, I was like, and <laughs> these like strange images of like people in hazmat suits and stuff. The whole god, I really like this film. <laughs> That's all I have. What was your least favorite thing? I don't know, like it's uh, one of those movies. I don't think it's necessarily like flawless. It's a movie that I absolutely love and admire, but it's hard to because everything that is in it needs to be in it, I think. And I wouldn't want anything changed in it either. So it's as close as a perfect movie as it comes to, I, I suppose, because if you judge a movie purely in what it's trying to do i think that this movie succeeds in every count so mm. my least favorite thing is that i can't come up with a least favorite thing <laughs> so i sound Stop like it. an idiot what about you uh there's one moment in this that where it's the two girls on the bus and they were they were really like comical and I don't know. It it just I don't. I can't even quite put my finger on why it sort of annoyed me. It was like the one moment in the movie where it felt like, you know, how like in Patterson, so much of that film. Patterson, so much of that film is like small, like that you know, happening around his bus and the people, and like every other part of this film feels like that, where it feels very observed and you know, like these, like when he sees his mother and everything. Whereas like that felt like stagey or something yeah. with these kind of like valley girls and like you know they could be like blowing bubble gum or whatever you know it was just so stupid <laughs> like goddamn that was millennials only... yeah and i yeah i don't know and once it like cuts so you see his perspective of them and then once you see his face and the whole it, i don't know it like took me out of the film or something for a moment um which was kind of weird but uh, at the same time, like, it was so small. It was like, <laughs> uh, good pick, Ricardo. Thank you. Well, like, uh, I was hoping that I get it all, get out of the, the funk I was in and everything that I picked, you were, like, fucking bashing. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Pick no, better I'm... films. Fuck yeah. Right. <laughs> On that note, uh, you're picking the movie next for next week. What are yes. What are we watching? The assistant. Ooh, nice comedy. Creepy, creepy, fucking sexual assault has flared up once again. Andrew Como. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, well, I was going to pick it a while ago, but um, I think uh, I'm ready now. And uh, also because this film was such a joy and uh, we, we can handle 
uh, I couldn't pack this any closer to collective um, <laughs> without <laughs> causing serious depression. So, uh, yeah, uh, where can they find us, Ricardo? You can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, on Twitter, at The Rec Game, on Spotify, on Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud, on your podcaster of choice, or our email is therecommendationgame at gmail.com. And we are every second Monday on Dublin Digital Radio, uh, 11 to 12, I believe. Cool. Well, until next next week, I was Orla McGinnis. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you then. <laughs> See you then. <laughs> <laughs>